Now we are carrying on in the book of Philippians today. If you do have a Bible with you, you can open that up to Philippians 2. Otherwise it will pop up on the screen as I read through the passages. But I want to ask you a question first about power and leadership and service and uh, your experience of those things. Uh, have you ever had a leader or a boss or a, an authority figure that has really just amazed you with the way they've treated you or treated others? I remember speaking to my sister who grew up in Durban with me and then worked in Cape Town for a while uh, about her own experience at work. And she told me about some of the bosses she'd had in Durban and then how she'd been blown away by this boss at her first job in Cape Town. This boss was older than her, uh, was more qualified, worked really, really hard. But this boss had been invested in her, wanted to see her develop, uh, was thoughtful about her and her needs, was buying her really kind gift, generous gifts for her birthday, and was just making sure that my sister Chelsea was just developing in this role. At the same time, this boss used their free time, took days off, used their holiday time to go and serve other people in the community around them. They just were a big-hearted, generous boss. And my sister said she learned so much from this woman who was older than her, much more senior and experienced than her. She was small fry coming in at like an entry-level job. And this boss had served her even though she had power in this role. And my sister said that had marked her. Maybe you've been marked badly by a bad boss, an abusive boss or leader or authority figure in your life who has misused their position to hurt you. That's such a terrible thing. When I was preparing for today, I thought about an experience I'd had with a friend of mine. Michelle and I were preaching at a different church on Sunday in a different city, in a very urban church. And I was just amazed at their example on this Sunday morning. They fetched us and took us to the Sunday gathering. And as we got out, we were going into the venue where at the front door of where this church met, there was quite a large, I don't know how to say this nicely, so I'll just be honest. There was a large poop right at the door. Now, this wasn't like a little dog turd that had just been left behind. This was a human poop that um, probably someone who had slept outside that door had left. It was a bit of a hit and run situation. They, they pooped, they'd, they'd gotten out of there, and they left that for the church to deal with. And obviously, it's pretty gross to arrive at church and be greeted by that as you enter in. So my friend wasn't loving it. But what happened next really impressed me. Now, we went inside and there was a pre-gathering prayer meeting, so we were praying and this guy disappeared for a while. And I saw him kind of pop out with some packets and some hand towels and things like that. And he sorted out the business. You know, there was a bit of smushing and squidging, but he was able to pick this up, put it in a packet, clean it up, clean his hands and carry on. And I, I know you might think, so what? Isn't that what he should have done? Isn't that the normal situation? You know, isn't that the right thing to do? Well, I think it is, and I'm glad you think so too. But at the same time, there's so many reasons he could have gotten out of doing this as the leader of this church. You know, he, he didn't need to. He could have been justified in asking someone else to sort out this poop. Uh, he could have spoken to the serving team guys and just said, hey guys, listen, I'm busy. I've got stuff to do. People just need to talk to me about things. Can you take care of this? I just don't have time. And they would have understood. I'm sure they would have done it. Maybe not happily, but they would have done it with a good heart. You know, he's, he's too busy. In this place, he's an important person. He's the pastor. Most people would have understood that. Uh, secondly, this guy's a huge germaphobe. 
He's the kind of person who before COVID would carry around hand sanitizer and put it on a couple of times a day. And I know how much this grossed him out. I mean, cleaning up a dog poop, fine. Cleaning up a human poop, not so fine. When you're a germaphobe, really, really bad. So he could have found another way out. Maybe he could have just ignored it at the door or pointed it out and then not done anything about it and just hoped someone else would sort it out so he didn't have to get involved. You know, if he felt too bad asking someone, he could have just hoped someone else would see it and sort it out. But instead, he went to the really gross place. He sorted it out himself, got the napkins, got the package, cleaned it up and threw it away. I don't know what you would have done in that situation. I hope I would have done the right thing, but I don't know. And I think the reason that that sticks with me is I was in a situation where I saw someone that I respected, someone who was an authority figure, a, a leader in that environment, someone capable, someone uh, that I think is really amazing, that they're important. And what they did in that environment, in that situation, is they humbled themselves to serve others. You know, if this had just been a random person that I'd seen do this, I mean, I would have thought that was cool. We've had situations on Sundays in the bathrooms at Glenwood Prep where people have had to clean up poop off of toilet seats and off of walls. It's a whole thing. And I'm amazed at our serving team doing that. But this person did this in their position of authority. They humbled themselves and served. And they didn't get up and take the mic that morning and say, guys, you wouldn't believe what happened when I arrived and told the story in such a way where they weren't boasting, but they were kind of humble bragging about how gross this was and how amazing they were to clean this, you know? Could have been a good PR stunt. They could have glorified themselves and made them look like a real hero in this situation. But this guy didn't do that. He did this because of his character, because it was the right thing to do. He humbled himself and served. Or to use the language of Philippians 2 that we're in today, he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He emptied himself of his pride and glory, and he did the dirty work. Now listen, the the point of the story isn't that if there's a poop at the door, call Grant because he's the pastor and he should serve and he should sort this out. In this story, I didn't. (laughs) I didn't pick it up. I didn't get involved. I just went to pray. But I'm sharing this because we've all been in a situation where we have faced either someone asks us or we're in a situation where we have to respond to something in front of us. And maybe you felt before like, actually, this is below me, you know. Like, how dare they ask me to do this? Because don't they know who I am? I'm important. Don't they know what I do during the week? Don't they know who I am in this place? I shouldn't be the one doing this. Of course not. How dare you? Now, we're probably all too polite to do that. Some of you might politely say no. Some of you might say yes and then not do it. Some of you might do it begrudgingly. But in our hearts, you know, we might do it with a smile, but in our hearts, sometimes this reveals what is really inside of us. The, the pride, the selfishness that is in our hearts, that we don't want to be there, but it's inside of us all. And this helps us to see ourselves. So this morning, we're in a really famous passage in Philippians 2 that deals with all of these issues. And it shows us so well what Jesus is like, which is really important because in Colossians 1, he's called the image of the invisible God. So to those of you who don't think you know what God is like, just to let you know, When you see Jesus, you see God. If you want to know what God is like, just study what Jesus is like and you'll get a big idea. And I think as we look at this passage and we see Jesus and we see God, you might be surprised about what we find out about God and also what it means to follow him. So let's jump right in. Philippians 2 verse 1. 
If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. I want to highlight that word exploited there, saying Jesus could have taken advantage of this. He could have used who he was for his own benefit, but he didn't. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful stuff. One of the most loved passages in the Bible. Probably one of the most famous passages in Philippians. And in verse 5, we'll start there this morning. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. This is kind of the, the central hinge point between the beginning and the end of this passage. And this is a key practice for us to apply and do after tonight's message. You ready for it again? Adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Other translations interpret this a bit differently. They say, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I guess the, the challenge is, what attitude do you have? What mindset do you have? What way of thinking do you have? Because here, Paul is calling us to a new one. He's calling us to put on new lenses through which we see ourselves and the world and God and each other. And he's calling us to a way of seeing it through Jesus' eyes, th thinking through Jesus' thoughts, and then imitating Jesus' example. So let's go back to the beginning. Verse 1 to 4 in this passage is about a unified human community in the church. And that sounds pretty good right now, because in our world at the moment, there is so much going on, and so much division, so much like fighting and protest and war and rumors of war and disagreement and disunity. It's wild out there. I'm sure you've seen in the news what's going on in Nigeria at the moment, just the division there and the political um, just division going on in the U.S. as they gear up for their elections. I, I feel like every morning when I read through the news, either on News 24 or CNN or BBC or Al Jazeera or whatever app I use, it's just so much going on in so many different parts of the world. But this passage, speaking against disunity and for unity, is talking specifically about the church community. You see, the church is called to be different to the world around us. We're called to be, as I said last week, a colony of heaven on earth that reveals the kingdom of God. That's the ideal that Paul is holding up here. And in this community, the, the love we've experienced in God, the fellowship we've had with the Holy Spirit, the encouragement we found in Jesus, and all these things that are listed here, should shape us and make us different as Christians. They should change our whole way of being community together. 
But if that's the ideal, the on the ground reality is really marked by the fact that we're all people in process. We're all imperfect, we're all learning, we're all growing. We all struggle with sin and have our own junk. And as Paul says in Romans 7, I do not do the things I want to do. Even though we hold to the ideal, sometimes we fail to live up to it. And when we come into a community like Harbor City, or if you're part of another church watching this today, we bring that sin and junk and those ways of thinking that need to be sanctified or processed out of us. We bring that with us. And that means that Paul has to tell the church here to be united. You see, this might shock some of you, but even in churches, there is fighting, there is politics, there is division, there is misunderstanding and hypocrisy, just like everywhere else in the world. Even though that's not the ideal that we're aiming for, because of the sin in our hearts, just like what we see all around us in the news and in the world, we see that brokenness in the church. Remember this, because many people say, oh, I'm not going to be in the church, it's just full of hypocrites. Well, you're 100% right. Churches are not full of perfect people. Churches are full of people who acknowledge that they need a savior. And you're welcome to come and join us too. And that means that while we hold up the biblical ideal of what the church community is meant to be, we still have to deal with the reality of the sin and brokenness that we all bring into this local colony of heaven. So welcome to Real Church. If you've never been in a church before, this is what you're in for. It's glorious but it can be a bit messy too. That's why Paul writes to the church and says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Selfish ambition is self-serving. It's putting ourselves first, trying to get ahead, and conceit is excessive pride. When I was preparing for this, I, I saw this quote about pride from Lewis Smedes. He says, Pride in the religious sense is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Do you ever find that in your own life? Because I know I do in mine. I want to be important. I want to be thought highly of. I want to be worshipped or seen as glorious. I want to be at the center of the universe. I know it's gross, but it's inside of me. And Paul says to the church, he says to us, that we cannot exist together as a healthy, mature colony of heaven if pride and selfishness exists among us. We cannot be the church if we have those things. Instead, we need to humble ourselves and continue as sacrificial servants. Now that's easier said than done. I love the idea of this, but this is hard to work out in my life and among us. I'm all for being humble I'm all for living as servants. I'm all for being this colony of heaven. I want it. I, I desire it. I pray for it for us, obviously. But I hate when it costs me something and when I have to put others ahead of myself. Just being real today. And Paul fleshes uh, this out for us a little bit and lets us know what this actually looks like in verse 4, where he says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now, I know there's a spectrum of people that will be in the room tonight and that are watching this today. And I want to try and talk to all of you. To those of you who are other-focused, are serving hard, are sacrificial, you lay down your life for others, or who at the drop of a hat, if someone calls you, you will leave everything you're doing and go and help someone in whatever way they need. If you're the kind of person who's always helping someone move, or doing DIY for someone else, or making someone a meal, or just 
thinking of others, then in a way, I kind of want you to block your ears for what I'm about to say. So I don't want you to hear this today. And this is why. I don't want you to hear this today and feel guilty that you are not doing enough and go home and beat yourself up and feel like you're too proud and selfish and commit to doing more stuff. That is not my goal today at all. And that's not the goal of Philippians 2. See, guilt is a powerful motivator, but guilt is not something God ever uses to try and get his people to do his will. You see, some people who have got big hearts and are really generous with their time and their money and their energy and their skills and all of that. They're super servant-hearted and they can see the needs around them. They can see how much needs to be done. They can see people who are hurting and need help and they just, they want to meet all of those needs. And those kind of people who are so generous and never feel like they're doing enough, they often get taken advantage of because they hate saying no because they want to help but It's just, You're amazing, those people who are wired like this. And often these people have also got a great theology of serving. They've taken in, they've internalized some of the scriptures in the Bible about serving, and they think them through, you know, like Philippians 2. We are called to live as humble, sacrificial servants, uh, like Jesus, who's humbly served us sacrificially. Or to take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him, or to die to self, or to lay down our lives. If you want to follow Jesus, that is what it means. And if you want to honor him with your life, You're going to be serious about doing that. I don't know if you've seen the movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel, but there's this uh, really crazy scene. I'll give you the plot in a nutshell. Jim Carrey goes through a really tough breakup and he kind of isolates. He, He just spends time on his own. Basically, he goes and hires movies. Remember the good old days when you did that? He hires movies every night, goes home and watches them. He doesn't go out with his friends. He doesn't go to parties. He's missing out on so many things. He becomes a no man. Even at work, he works at a bank and he just denies loans all day. Just says no, no, no. Until one day he ends up going to the self-help talk at night around the power of yes. And he has a powerful experience in this meeting where the person facilitating it gets him to covenant, make a covenant with him that he will only say yes when he gets asked to do things. So he does. Every time someone asks him to do something, or request something of him, he says yes. And now there's a whole lot of zany situations going on in this, which I won't get into. But his friends find this out. And like any good friends would do, they take good advantage of him and this crazy new philosophy he's adopted. So the one friend says, well, okay, can I move into your place rent-free? Yes. Uh, will you wash my laundry? Yes. Uh, Do you mind buying groceries for me? Yes. Will you take my mom to the airport? Yes. And Jim Carrey ends up doing thing after thing after thing. His other friend actually asked him to throw his fiance's bachelorette party. He's barely met her. He barely knows her. And he has to say yes. If you feel like Jim Carrey and yes man, that you're just saying yes, you can't say no, you're overwhelmed, you're being taken advantage of by other people, I want to say to you, God will not love you anymore. And God will not love you any less based on what you do or how much. Please hear me say that today. So if you serve, that's amazing. But don't do it out of guilt. Do it out of a place of deep joy in Jesus. Not trying to keep God happy and to earn his love and favor in your life. Because you don't have to. 
Jesus has already paid the price for your sins. He, he's already reconciled you to God. You're already in him. God loves you and is pleased with you. You don't need to try and pay him back. And honestly, even if you tried, you would never be able to do enough for what Jesus has given you, the free gift of grace he gave you on the cross. So instead of living out of guilt and trying to pay God back, let's imitate Jesus and serve others as an act of joy-filled worship. Now listen, we live in a busy and demanding world. I know so many people, their schedules are full, our minds are full, our time is full. A lot of us are feeling tired at the moment. Some of you might feel like you need to hear a message on self-care, not Philippians 2 tonight. And I think there has been this wonderful resurgence in the church over the last while, talking about self-care and emotional and spiritual health. And we see that in the Bible. For instance, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus works hard. He spends all day preaching, healing the sick, casting out demons. People are desperate for time with him, and he pours himself out all day and goes to bed late and tired. And the next day, he gets up really early in the morning before anyone else while it's still dark, and he gets away to a secluded place so that he can pray and be alone with God because he needs it. You know, This isn't legalism. He doesn't need to have his quiet time, but he needs to have a quiet time with God to be refreshed by him, to, to see him, to enjoy time with God, and to be filled up and have his priorities reset. Now his disciples look for him, and after quite a while, they find him in this far-off place. And they say, Jesus, everyone's back. All the people from yesterday that heard you preach, and the healing, and the demons being cast out, all of that, they're back and they want more. And Jesus says, no. He's been with the Father he knows what God wants from him. And he says, we're not going to do that again. Instead, we're going to the next town. We're going to serve there. And Jesus was able to say no and to say yes out of a healthy place in his relationship with God. You see, Jesus served others not as their slave. He didn't have to do what everyone wanted him to do. But he served others as a servant of God the King. Now, I know that some of us are on the other end of the spectrum, and I kind of don't want you to hear some of that stuff, because you desperately need to hear that actually Christians live lives, our identity is as servants. We, we are humble people that sacrificially serve others. And I know some people are just too comfortable saying no when people make requests of them. Some people are so boundaried with their life and their time, you know, that, that they hate being inconvenienced, that they hate doing anything outside of their plans. And in fact, maybe you even think doing certain things is just beneath you. In your pride or selfishness, if this is you today, you feel like you might be too important to serve in those ways. Leave that to others. I don't clean up human poop at the door. To you, I'd say you need to work that out between you and God. But if you are never being inconvenienced for others, if you're never serving here in this church, if you are not using your gifts, your time, your talent, your money for the sake of others, if you're not known at work and among your family and friends as someone who's humble and helpful, then something is wrong. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. This passage here tonight is helping us to take on the attitude of Jesus and to imitate him as humble servants. Now, verse 6 to 11 is the, the very well-known passage in Philippians 2. And most people think it was written as a poem or a hymn, 
to uh, a church, probably in Jerusalem at the time, that they would either sing or recite during the Lord's Supper. We don't know if Paul wrote this or if he was just like copying this here just because it stood out to him or it was well known to the Philippian church. But let me go through it again. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He's about to illustrate what that looks like. Who existing in the form of God. What this is saying is Jesus was fully God, 100% God, and he became 100% man. So he was both, both 100% Jesus and 100% man. And he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He didn't use his godness, his divinity, for his own benefit. Instead, he used it to serve. Verse 7, instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. What we see here is that Jesus came into human history, not as the Lord of history, the, the Kyrios, that he's called at the end of this passage. Instead, he came as the doulos, the slave. And I think that word is often translated servant in Philippians 2 because people think to call God a slave, to, for God to enter the world, the king to come as a slave, is just too shocking. But, but that is a way you can translate that word. Jesus, who was in the form of God, Jesus, who is fully God, took on the form, the, the role of a slave or a servant, and came to earth. And he came without the rights or advantages or privileges that he knew in heaven. No, he humbled himself and became the lowest of the low, a servant to all. Verse 7 says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Now, the New King James translates that he made himself of no reputation. The NIV says he made himself nothing. And I don't know about you, but my reputation matters a lot to me. I want people to like me, to speak well of me, to think that I'm amazing. If I can use like fancy language, I want people to think that I'm glorious, you know, highly exalted. I want people to think I'm incredible. But Jesus, who was all of those things, he emptied himself of his reputation and glory and significance as Lord, and he became nothing. He became unimportant, the, the bottom of the food chain as a doulos, a slave. And Jesus, who is fully God, dressed down as a servant. Uh, the way I'm thinking of this is almost like a celebrity. You know, you see in those gossip magazines, they, they put on a baseball cap and glasses and a, a hoodie, and they move around so that no one will recognize them. Jesus did that. Isaiah 53 says there was nothing about his physical appearance that should draw us to him. You know, Jesus didn't come rocking a halo. He wasn't shining. He wasn't angelic hums beating out of his body as he walked along. Jesus came as an ordinary man. And the king of heaven that was surrounded by tens of thousands of adoring angels worshiping him just in awe of his glory and brilliance and power, that king emptied himself of all of those things and came to earth to live a humble life, to serve and then to go to a humiliating death on the cross. And that means that if Jesus could do all of that, that you and I don't need to live or die by what others think of us. You know, what we see here is even if uh, the eyes of others, I am nothing. It doesn't matter because in the eyes of God, I am something. 
God is willing to humble himself and come down and go to all of this effort that I could be reconciled to him. You are loved and valuable to him. Mark 10 verse 43 to 45 says, Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus' whole life was marked by humility. Look at his birth. Jesus wasn't born in an influential city. He wasn't born in Alexandria, Rome, Athens, or Jerusalem. He was born in a manger, a feeding trough in Bethlehem, a small town in the middle of nowhere. And he lived for 30 years in relative obscurity. He wasn't famous. People didn't know much about him. Then in his earthly ministry, he was known for loving unlovable people and spending time with outcasts. And when he died, he only had about 120 followers left. At his death, he was killed in the most shameful and humiliating way, nailed to a cross alongside two criminals. And we see in Jesus' entire life, he emptied himself of his glory and he took on shame and rejection and experienced it to serve us. And he did that so that you and I don't need to experience the eternal rejection and shame that we would face. Now we will be reconciled to God. Jesus came as a slave and he died as an outcast for you and I. This is what God is like. This is your God, Arbison. Let me end with this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage ends pretty well, actually. Like if you were to kind of do this on a grid, you would see from verse 5, things start to go downhill for Jesus. Humble, servant, killed on the cross. And then it starts to rise again. This is the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus that we see here. Now, a bad interpretation of this passage would be, and I've heard this kind of message before. If you humble yourself and live a life as a servant, if you choose to serve others, if you are willing to be the kind of person who will pick up the human poop at the door of church, then God will highly exalt you. And that's kind of the prosperity gospel way of seeing things. If you live this kind of life, if you serve and are humble, then you will have fame and fortune. It's coming your way. But that's not what this passage is saying at all. This passage is showing us what God is like, and it's calling us to have the same attitude or mindset as him. And it's calling us to follow Jesus' example of humility and servanthood. But lastly, in these final verses, it's trying to leave us with, I guess, the truth of ultimate reality. What is our world really all about? Now, last week I said that this passage would have been controversial to the Philippian church. When they read it, they would have been shook. See, they knew how subversive and controversial what was going on here was because they knew that Paul is saying, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. And that was a big deal because Caesar was worshipped as God in the whole Roman Empire. You know, Caesar is Lord was chanted by the people as just a propaganda call. This was what was known by the empire and the imperial cult. So for the church to reject Caesar as Lord and to proclaim Jesus as Lord, to worship him and not Caesar, was a radical thing and it could cost them their lives. Now for us today, we're a little, it's a little bit different. You know, church signs say Jesus is Lord proudly outside, 
Even people who are not Christians have crosses tattooed on them. Uh, I think about this. Jamie Thomas, he's a skateboarder that I, I love. He has a brand called Zero. When he became a Christian, he got a cross tattooed on his chest and he had a skateboard deck released with a cross that said Jesus saves underneath, which is kind of the modern day version of Jesus is Lord. You know what? It sold like hotcakes. He made a lot of money off of that board that said Jesus saves with a big cross on it. That message maybe means something different today, but it's no less controversial and radical. In a world where living your own truth is a virtue, in a world where absolute truth is being diminished, you know, because it is so hard to say to someone else, your view of reality is wrong. This view is right. Paul is writing and he's saying, this is the truth. This is ultimate reality. This is the way the universe works. This is what is going to happen. Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And he's saying here that one day, everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that's uh, spiritual beings, angels and demons and whatever else they might be. That's people that are alive. And that's those who are dead. Everyone, every being will bow their knee to Jesus Christ and will proclaim with their mouths that he is Lord, that he is the king and God over all things. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is supreme. He is supreme over all people, all places, all leaders, all things, and all gods. He is in first place, which is a pretty big and controversial and exclusive claim about Jesus and the world and reality and eternity. So Harbour City, visitors, friends, whoever you are watching us today, even though that day in Philippians 2 that we're talking about here is an unseen reality that is coming in the future. The question I want to leave you with today is, how will you respond to this truth? How will you respond right here and now in the present? Not one day, but, but now. Will you bow your knee now and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord now? Will you serve him and worship him as God now? Will you take on his attitude and humble yourself and take on the identity of a servant now? And will you live a life that brings glory to God the Father with the days, weeks, months, and years that you have left? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, being a servant, living a humble life, fighting pride and selfishness in ourselves is hard. We ask you for your help and your power to do that. And I just pray for anyone watching today who's not sure where they stand, with the Jesus is Lord stuff. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, open our eyes to see the truth of who you are. And I pray, Lord God, that um, our hearts would swell with love and commitment to you, that we would serve you, that we would bow our knees and our hearts and proclaim that you are Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.